Well, let's read from Matthew's account now. So if you've got your Bible with you, let's turn to the Gospel of Matthew. And we'll read from uh, Matthew chapter 2 as we begin this morning in our time around the Word of God at verse 1. And I'll just read down to verse 12 just for our thoughts. Matthew chapter 2 and verses 1 to 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, and land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And he, Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Now this, um, I'm sure, is a very familiar part of the whole story around the birth of Jesus. And as you are well aware of, there are obviously many questions uh, that are surrounding exactly who these visitors are from the east. I mean, who or what are the Magi? Uh, where are they exactly from? What star are they following? How do they know it was going to lead them to a baby? How did they know that this baby was going to be a king? Even how did they know this baby was the king of the Jews? Such puzzling questions. And, and really, all of them deserve our attention. But to just answer the historical question really misses the whole point of what Matthew wrote. In fact, it misses what should be the right response from all of us. The Magi got it. Do we? When we celebrate Christmas this time of year, do we really understand what we are celebrating? Do we actually have the right response to what we've just read now, Matthew here doesn't want us to miss that point, doesn't want us to miss what should be the right response. And so he mentions it clearly at least two times and somewhat vaguely one other time. And in case you missed it, let me just reread the verse again to you. Back in verse 2, he writes, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east. And here it is. Here's the right response. We have come to worship him. You catch that? Go down to verse 11. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped 
him. What's the point? Well, as I said, it's the right response or should be the right response of everyone when they read and they hear this nativity story. In a word, the right response is what? Worship. That's the point. Worship. Falling down on your knees and worshiping Jesus Christ. In fact, we heard it in a number of the songs we've just sung, but especially the one we just, the, the last song we just sung, Oh Holy Night. I, it's one of my favorites, and I asked it to be sung right before we, we open up the Word of God because that one line that says, A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a glorious or new glorious norm. And then what's the next line? Fall on your knees. I don't know if you caught that. Fall on your knees. Again, that's the point for which Matthew includes the Magi here. Luke didn't. Mark didn't. Matthew does. Why? Because the Magi give us the example of the proper response to the birth of the Savior. Falling on our knees. But why? Why? Why should worship be the right response to the birth of Jesus Christ? Why should we fall on our knees? Well, as the song continues, long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth or his worth. In fact, our, our word worship it began in the old English as worthiness or worth. Ship. You probably know that. Worthship is to give worth to something. And so worthship became worship. And again, that's the point here. I don't want you to miss that. The point of Matthew's account, Mark's account, Luke's account, even for that matter, John's theological account there in John 1, and the rest of the Bible for that matter, is that we would worship Jesus Christ. Come, let us adore him. That's the point of the Christmas story. In fact, you could say apart from all the historical issues surrounding the birth of Jesus, the time, the place, the people, apart from all of that, the whole incarnational story is engulfed in one word, and that's worship. I mean, think about it. Think about when the story actually begins. I read you Matthew 2, but it actually begins in Matthew 1, and what's happening in Matthew 1? You've got Zechariah. Zechariah, as you know, is the father of John the Baptist. And when Zechariah sees the angel in the temple and he's told that his wife Elizabeth is going to have a baby and that baby is going to be the forerunner, it's going to clear the way for the Messiah. When Zechariah comes out, or actually as he's still in the temple, the immediate response of Zechariah is what? Worship. We just read of Mary's response, and especially her response when the angel told her that she was going to be carrying a baby who would be the Messiah. Her response was worship. The angels, we just read, gave glory to God. That's worship. The shepherds went home glorifying God. That's worship. We could keep reading in Simeon, the old man who holds Jesus in his arms. He worships. Anna, the, the old lady in the temple, worships as well. And the magi here come and he worships. You see the pattern? Every time... There was a visit to the baby. There was worship. 
from the angelic announcement to his actual birth, the right and only response to the baby born in Bethlehem was worship. You really can't miss it. You can't argue with it. And not just at his birth. I I just kind of did a tour right through the book of Matthew. You can either follow along in your Bible since you're in Matthew or just listen. But as you move through Matthew, the, the right response every time somebody approaches Jesus is this. Matthew 8, 2, 8, 2. Behold, a leper came and worshipped him. Matthew 9, 18. A girl's restored to life and a woman healed. And the text says, while he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him. Matthew 14, 33. Peter's walking on water. Uh, Jesus walking on water and then Peter tries to walk on water. And then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him. True, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Matthew 15 A woman of Canaan came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. Matthew 28, this is after Jesus is raised from the dead. And they went to tell his disciples, the women, rather, when they saw the empty tomb, went to uh, tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, rejoice. So they came and held him him by the feet and worshipped him. And then when the disciples saw him, they worshipped him. Now we'll stop there. And that's just Matthew. But, of course, the worship of Jesus Christ at his birth and his life extends right through eternity. You you go to the book of Revelation, you get it in Revelation 4, you get it in Revelation 5. I mean, right through Revelation, you you see the, the worship of the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. It's repeated over and over again. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I mean, this is what Christians have done. Here we are, 2022, and uh, for how many years now? What are we doing? What are we be doing forever and ever? Worshiping Jesus Christ, crying out, worthy is the land. Listen, this is the message of Christmas. Worshiping Jesus Christ for who he is and what he has done. And as I said, the worship of Jesus Christ is the right and only response this time of year. Which, of course, then carries out throughout the rest of the year and then carries throughout all eternity. Having said that, though, it does raise a crucial and critical question. And that is, uh, and maybe you're asking this, what, what exactly is worship? I mean, if the right response is to worship Jesus Christ, then what is worship? And am I worshiping Jesus Christ? Am I truly worshiping Jesus Christ? Because there is this thing called false worship. What is true worship? Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, John 4, God seeks true worshipers, those who worship him in truth and spirit. What does that mean? Again, how do we know if we're worshiping Jesus Christ as we are supposed to be doing? I mean, you know, there's a lot of people out there, even right now this morning as the sun comes up all across the the globe as people flock to their churches who say they are worshipers, they say they are Christians claiming to worship Jesus, but are, are they worshiping him truly? Or maybe just take a step back and say it another way, I mean, any, everyone in any formal religion, whether it be Islam, Roman Catholicism, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, 
Mrs. Whatever. I mean, they all would say they're worshiping who? They would all say they're worshiping God. In fact, they all would say, oh, we all worship the same God. It's just different paths to the same God. Is that true? Are we all worshiping the same God? Are we all worshiping the same Jesus? I mean, the Jesus of Islam is not the same Jesus of Mormonism. And the Jesus of Jehovah's Witnesses is not the same Jesus of Roman Catholicism. And the Jesus of the Bible is not the same Jesus of any of those religions, right? So again, it does beg the question. Is there such a thing as true worship? Is there such a thing as acceptable worship? And that's, that's really what I want us to think about this morning, if that's all right. I want us to think about true and acceptable worship as we celebrate Christmas. Are you, as you celebrate Christmas, are you a true worshiper? Are you just celebrating? The festivities, the food, the fun, the fellowship, whatever F, other F word you have to put in there. Food, fun. I mean, the songs are beautiful. We love singing the songs. But is it just singing? Are you truly worshiping? So let's think about that. I just jotted down a, a few thoughts. We'll just race through these. Um, we'll call these the non-negotiables of worship. And I have five of them, all right, if you're taking notes. The five non-negotiables of true worship, the five essentials of true worship, however you want to word it. And here's the first one. And this is probably the most important one, and all the other ones follow it. The first one Number one, and, and these are all going to be based on what we learned from the Magi, by the way. So stay in your Bible there in, in Matthew 2. Here's the first one. Worship is the pursuit of truth. You got that? Worship is the pursuit of truth. This is so important. True worship is always based on truth. Truth is the non-negotiable to acceptable worship. And this is what I said. As I said, this is what we can learn from the Magi because this is exactly what the Magi were doing. They, they, they hopped on their horses, their donkeys, or camels, or whatever they were on, and they went seeking truth. That's probably why they were called wise men, right? Wise men, because they're seeking truth. Where is he? They would ask. Where is he who is born king of the Jews, they asked. Now, the question comes, it's not really told us here, but they, they obviously the question comes, well, how, did, how in the world did they know that the, the king of the Jews was being born? How did they know to saddle up their horses and head west? And we know they're from the east, and the east would probably be Babylon. And look, putting two and two together, you could say that uh, the legacy of Daniel in Babylon, he left a, a long legacy, and those uh, wise men were probably the, the, the Chaldean uh, advisors. They were the the scholars, and they probably read of Daniel. They probably knew of Daniel. The legacy of Daniel, as I said, is probably left to them where they knew that a Messiah was going to be coming. I mean, that's about all I can tell you in terms of the speculation of why they took off the influence of Daniel. I mean, the word magi, if you're interested, magi just indicates a clan or a tribe, maybe a school. Maybe it's a school of Daniel. But the point here is, obviously, is that these men were seekers, men who studied, men who were interested in the truth. That's what a true worshiper is. A true worshiper is someone who is interested in the truth and in the pursuit of the truth. And, of course, you say, well, what is truth? And that what Pilate said to Jesus, what is truth? Well, Jesus came 
to tell us the truth. How many times did he say, and in most Bibles it's, you know, before he spoke he would say truly, truly, right? But you could really translate that as, I speak the truth. Isn't that good? Free word that next time you read the gospel. When Jesus speaks, he goes, I speak the truth, and then read whatever he says. Jesus came to speak the words of God. He came to speak the words of his Father, and the words of his Father and the words of God are truth. He himself says, I am what? The truth. And of course, the truth is uh, the revelation of God. That's why the word of God and the worship of God go hand in hand. You can't worship God without the word of God. You try worshiping God without the word of God, then it's just a bunch of feelings, just a bunch of emotions. I mean, you're basically worshiping what you don't know. And there's a word for that, and that's called, called idolatry. Idolatry, that's false religion. Worshiping God as you think he is or what you want him to be as if he's some wax nose that you can just kind of form and shape and say, that's my God and I'm going to worship him as I want him to be. Well, you can't do that. And call that true worship. No, true worship is based on his truth, the truth about God. Uh, let's just start with his holiness. He's a holy God. The truth about man, that he is sinful, depraved from head to toe, enemies of God in need of salvation. The truth about Jesus Christ, that he is fully and truly man, truly and fully God, Emmanuel, God with us. He's, as we said, the savior of the world. He says himself that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through him. Peter says that on that day in Acts 4, uh, when he's preaching the sermon, he says, there is no other name given to men under heaven by which we may be saved. Uh, uh, when you come to the realization that you need to be saved from your sins, you, you need to be right with God. I, I remember last Sunday we were down at the carols in the park, and um, Ben and I, I, Bill started it and then handed it off to Ben and I, and then Bill took off to move on. And that was good because Ben and I had a, a good time talking to this guy who said he was a seeker, but he wasn't a seeker because he kept telling us what true religion was and how, how you get – we actually never talked about getting right with God, but that's the discussion we went with. I mean, the old question, if you were to die today and you stood before God and God said, how would, uh, why should I let you in my heaven, what would you answer him? I mean, I know that's old, but it's still okay to say that. I mean, the issue is, are you right with God? And that's what we kept going around and around and back to him. Are you right with God? How do you know you're not right with God? Well, I, the only way I know I'm not right with God is because the Bible tells me that. The Bible tells me that I'm a sinner. The Bible says that God is holy and that I'm a sinner and thus I need salvation. Well, that becomes the problem. What's the answer to the problem? The answer to the problem is who? Jesus Christ. There's only one God and one man and one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. So if I'm going to be a true worshiper, I need to be a true worshiper based upon God's truth. And if your worship doesn't begin there, it's not true Worship. In fact, if you believe that man is basically good and Jesus was just a man and that God sends no one to hell and, and really whatever you do in church is, it, it is okay, then again, I'll, I'll just have to call it for what it is and, that, and say that's not true worship. This is why we begin where we begin here. Worship begins with this pursuit of truth. And, and of course, it doesn't begin or end with the pursuit of truth. That's where it begins. It ends with believing the truth, Right? 
Obeying the truth. And can I just add this? That means it begins in the mind. I I just need to add this because there's so much quote-unquote worship out there where, you know, you you go to the churches and they say, well, thanks, guys, for that worship. And they're looking over to the band here. Um, And that's part of worship, but that's not all of worship. In fact, the Bible's clear that worship really begins in, uh, with the mind and then moves to the emotions and then moves to the will, but it begins in the mind. Remember, Moses says, worship the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Worship with your mind. So you can go to one extreme and think that worship is just playing a lot of music and you get caught up in the music and it's about the emotions. And, and it's really deceptive because you, people walk out of the door thinking they just worship God and all they did was just have some fuzzy feelings. Or you can go to a church where it swings all the way to the other side and it's just about the, the, the ritual and the routine and the sacraments. They do this and they do that uh, and, they, and, and they walk out the door thinking that they worship. But in both cases, there was no exercise of the mind. There was no stimulation of the mind. You, you caught what... Back in Matthew, or what did I read earlier? Luke, you, you caught what Mary did when she saw everything that was going on. She what? She meditated with her mind. She worshiped God with her mind. So if you want to be a true worshiper, it begins with the mind. It begins with loving the Lord your God with all your mind, holding the truth, grasping the truth. And then, and then, I'm not unemotive. Don't get me wrong. I'm all for emotions. But it begins with the mind and then moves to the emotions. It doesn't start with the emotions and bypasses the mind or never gets to the mind. That's true worship. Let me, let me say it this way. True worship is where the mind understands the truth and then the truth activates the emotion in praise and adoration and love towards God. Does that make sense? Let me say that again. True worship is where the mind understands, believes, obeys the truth, and then the truth activates the emotions in praise and adoration and love towards God. It's the truth that elevates our praise. It's the truth that elevates and brings out our gratitude. And, of course, this is what you see in the Magi. You ask the question, what drove them to Jerusalem? The truth. What made them joyful with exceeding joy? The truth. What caused them to fall down and worship Jesus Christ? The truth. It's always and begins with the truth. And so I, I guess I have to ask you is what, what drives you as well? What compels you as well? Is, is it the truth? Is it the truth that brings you to your knees in worship? Do you know the truth, I guess, is maybe where we have to begin by way of asking. Let's, let, let me go now to a second point here, a second non-negotiable. And we'll call this praise. We move from the pursuit of truth, and as I said, it begins in the mind, but then it, following that is praise. Number two, worship is praise. In other words, true worship is spiritual. It is internal. It is a matter of the heart. It's truth and spirit, right? In the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, and you can see this in the Psalms particularly, I don't know if you've ever noticed that as you read the Psalms, praise is always an expression of thanksgiving. In in fact, in Hebrew, you you have the the word praise, but you also have the word thanksgiving. And and while thanksgiving is there, um, praise is is normally the word that's used. 
um, halal in Hebrew. Like hallelujah, we praise the Lord. Um, and the reason, the, the reason why it's normally praise and not thanksgiving, even though they're very similar, is because they, they, they could hear in, in the way they expressed it, I thank you, O Lord, whereas praise immediately gets it off of you and onto God. It's just a, it's just a, uh, a word choice that wants to give all the, the, the praise to God and none to us. Does, does that make sense? So if I say thank you, it begins with me, but if I say praise, it immediately takes off from me and on to God. There's more of God in the praise than there is in the thankfulness. And this is what worship is. Worship is praise. Now, again, it is motivated by gratitude. It's motivated by who God is and what he's done. And that goes back to point number one. We have to know who he is and what he's done. That's the truth. And truth evokes praise. Or should evoke praise to the true believer, of course. Now, on the other hand, the non-believer, truth evokes hostility, right? Truth evokes enmity. Anger. I mean, you look at the world today, you look around and you look at all the insanity going on all over the place, the perversions, the wickedness, the godliness, and you have to ask the question, is there a source behind all this? I mean, it seems like there's millions of legs but with one mind all thinking this thing. And it is, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, it is the course of the world. There is a course of the world that everybody seems to be thinking the same, doing the same. What's behind all that? Well, they they hate the truth. They suppress the truth. That's Romans 1. They they love their sin. That's what Jesus said in John 3. They love their sin. But but again, you flip it on the other side. True worship loves the truth. It evokes praise. I mean, go to verse 10. Go back to what the Magi are doing here. When they saw the star, they what? They rejoiced with exceedingly great joy joy. That's praise. That's praise. The pursuit of truth leads to praise. Another way of saying it is uh, the truth gives God all the glory. And we all know 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat, whether you drink, we do all things to the glory of God. And that's true. Our whole life is marked by glorifying God. Or should be. I know we don't do it the way we're supposed to be. And it's, as we always say, it's not the perfection, but it is certainly the direction we want to go there. But this is the duty of every creature. The duty of every creature is praise. That, that's what the right response should be to this story. We want to pursue the truth, and we want to praise God according to that truth, which then leads to point number three. If you're taking notes, worship. What is worship? Well, worship is the pursuit of truth, and worship is praise. But here's number three. Worship is prostration. Worship is prostration. Look at verse 11. When the Magi saw the child, what did they, what did they do? What did they immediately do? Well, we, again, referring to the song, we sang, they fell on their knees, right? Verse 11 says, they fell down and worshipped him. Literally, they prostrated themselves with their faces on the ground. That's what you do to a king. This is the right reaction. This is the right response. Praise and prostration. But to put it another way and give you another word, it's just submission. That's what it is. 
When you recognize a king, you prostrate yourself, and that prostration tells everybody that's watching that you are submitting to that king. Right? To put it another way, worship is surrender. You're familiar with Psalm 46.10? Be still and know that I am God. Be still there. The Hebrew word has the idea of just drop your arms. Drop your arms. The idea is that you're at war with God. The idea is that your weapons are up and ready to fight. And the psalmist says, be still, surrender, submit, and know that I am God. You're not going to win this one. You're not going to win the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise God. Right? Prostration. Now, obviously the Magi here are physically prostrating themselves, but worship, true worship, is obviously spiritual prostration. I mean, if you want to get in, in, the, in the aisle and fall down on your knees, go for it. But obviously we're talking about a spiritual prostration here. Worship is the physical and spiritual submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And why? Because it wasn't just some baby that was born. This was, this was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, if you're a true worshiper and you understand it's the pursuit of truth and you understand it's praise and now you understand it's prostration, your worship, get this, isn't just once a week. This isn't just the, the hour on a Sunday morning, an hour, Sunday night if you come back. If you call yourself a Christian, you are under the submission and the lordship of Jesus Christ, which means that you are prostrating yourself all day long, seven days a week, 12 months a year for the rest of your life. And you know where that will show up? Where, where will the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life best show up? Your obedience. Your obedience. I mean, you can come here on a Sunday morning and fool all of us. You can come here back on a Sunday night and fool all of us. But what you do behind closed doors in the privacy of your room or uh, at, at work, wherever you go, it'll show up. It'll show up in your obedience. No wonder Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what? What I tell you to do. Prostration. Worship is prostration. It's obedience. It's submission. Let me give you a fourth thought here. Worship is preparation. Worship is preparation. I mean, what did the Magi bring here? They brought gifts, right? They presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But they, you know, they didn't stop by the Bethlehem IGA right before they went around to the house, did they? No, they brought the, these gifts all the way wherever they came from, from the east. They came prepared. Because they know they were going to visit a king. I mean, they came looking for a king. They, they came to the king. They worshipped the king and they gave gifts to the king. And all of that speaks to the point that they were prepared. Worship is preparation. Isaac Watts knew this. Joy to the world. We sang this, I think, earlier. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. And then what's the next line? Let every heart prepare him room. The, the king's coming. I mean, that's what you do when the king arrives. You prepare yourselves, right? 
You prepare yourself for his arrival, and there's the lesson for us. I mean, I think we probably need to say more about it than just skimming through it, and maybe we'll pick this up another time, but too many of us don't prepare for worship. We don't come with anything in hand or heart. I mean, think about it. Here, here's a checklist. I just jotted down some things that perhaps we need to prepare ourselves for sun, at least Sunday morning worship. Um, have we prepared our hearts to hear the word of God? And if, 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 the, if the worship, the highest form of worship, uh, worshiping of God is the preaching of the word of God, as Martin Luther said, and I agree with him, have we prepared our hearts to hear the word of God? Have we, pre- have we repented and confessed sin? Have we prayerfully considered how we can stimulate a brother or sister in love and good deeds? That's what we're, I mean, that, that's what we, we do, right? Uh, Hebrews 10 says, you know, stir one another up in love and good deeds. I, 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 that can be an afterthought, but why not a pre-thought? Why not come with the thought that, I, you know, I'm gonna, this morning I know so-and-so needs some encouragement and I'm prepared to give them some encouragement. Be thoughtful. Have we thoughtfully come with a gift to give God in gratitude for his benevolence to, to us? I guess my point is, I, I, and I'm not picking on anybody here, I, I just think too many of us waltz into church just treating Jesus as if he's some good mater, some friend. I mean, we'd never, speaking of just waltzing in, uh, many of us waltz in late. We never waltz into a concert late or a movie late or wouldn't work, it work late, but it, it seems to be okay waltzing into church late. And as my seminary professor used to say, lateness is a commentary on what you think of the person in the event. And that's true. And I'm not the person, Jesus is the person. This comes back to preparation. Worship is preparation. And, and by the way, just as a footnote, can I tell you the best way to prepare yourselves for the 1030 worship service? What am I going to say? Is the 930 prayer meeting. You want to prepare yourself for the 1030 worship? Come at 930 and, and be part of the prayer meeting. Best way to prepare yourselves for worship. Number five, last one. Worship is pursuit of truth. Worship is praise. Worship is prostration. Worship is preparation. And and fifthly, uh, worship is particular. Worship is particular. Now, this somewhat circles back to the first point, but it does need to be repeated. What, What were the Magi seeking? They were seeking a child. And who is this child? Well, as far as they knew, this child would be a king. That's what they say. Where's this child who was born to be King. Now, can I just say that's pretty particular? That's true worship. In other words, true worship is all about the baby born. True worship is all about Christ. It's all about him, falling on your knees and worshiping him and him alone. That's what I mean by particular. I mean, you go into some churches, who knows what or what the focus of worship is. That's why if you ever are unclear on how to worship on earth, right? We're, we're on earth. If you're ever unclear on how we are to worship on earth, what would be a, 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 a good way of understanding how to worship on earth? 
Maybe get a glimpse of how worship is done in heaven. Go to the book of Revelation. What are they doing in heaven? It's all about the lamb that was slain. Worthy is the lamb. That's pretty particular. Worship in heaven is pretty particular. Worship in eternity is pretty particular. Why, why can't it be, or shouldn't it be, I should say, it, the same here? It's all about him. Singularly focus. Christ wants all of our worship or none of our worship. Christ will never share his glory with another. Let me put it another way. There is no true worship if it's going to be Christ in your career. There's no true worship if it's going to be Christ in your money. It's not going to be true worship if it's going to be Christ in your pleasures. I will have no other gods before me. I mean, this goes back to the truth that God is a jealous God. If you want to worship God, you need to worship him as he is. I think I've said this over the years. One of the, when you go back to the Old Testament and go back to the Pentateuch, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and you take that as the book of Moses, it's interesting that as five books, there's, by virtue of five, there's a middle book, and that's the third book, which is the book of Leviticus. And Leviticus is all about what? Worship. How to worship. Yeah, you, you, you read Genesis and you're doing pretty well. You read Exodus and you're doing pretty well because the narratives are flowing, the stories are great. And then you hit Exodus. Ugh, all this meticulous, you know, uh, language about the temple and the priests and the sacrifices. And you're thinking, what relevance does this have for me? And so you skim through that and you get on the other side. Numbers starts the narrative again. And, of course, Deuteronomy's help. But don't skip Leviticus. So Leviticus is all about the worship of God in the Old Testament. And what it pulls out is the principles that God is a precise God and he wants to be worshipped precisely. I mean, there was, he said, make this perfume and make it for me. If you make it for somebody else, take him outside and stone him. I mean, he's pretty serious about his worship. Nadab and Abihu, ask them what, what God thinks about true worship they put the wrong fire strange fire and fire came out and smoked them we need to get a bit more serious about our worship it's particular it's particular well we'll stop there just uh, just a, a few brief lessons on worship from the Christmas story there's many other things we could say, but I think that's, that's enough that you get the point that worship is the pursuit of truth. Worship is praise. Worship is prostration. Worship is preparation. And again, worship is particular. I, I, I do want to close with one other verse. If you've got your Bible, turn to Philippians 3.3. 3. Because everything I've just said comes together in one verse. This to me, in Philippians 3.3, 3, is the best definition of what a Christian is. If you're, if you're here this morning and you're visiting and, and you, you, this, this is all brand new to you, you've probably heard the Christmas story before but really haven't heard it in, in this light of how this is, this is about worship. Well, if, if you want to know what we do as Christians, why we make a, a big deal about Jesus Christ and what a Christian is, Philippians 3.3, 3, as I said, is one of the best definitions of a Christian where Paul says here, for we are the true circumcision. Now, Old Testament saints were the old 
circumcision. They just physically circumcised themselves, but we spiritually circumcised ourselves in terms of God circumcised our hearts. He's changed our hearts. What's the next thing he says? Who worship, there it is, who worship in the spirit of God. So it's truth and spirit. We glory in Christ Jesus. That's particular. And then this, put no confidence in the flesh. We don't add to that. It's, it's, it's not Christ plus works. It's not Christ plus sacraments. It's not Christ plus ritual. It's not Christ plus some aspect of the law. It's Christ and Christ alone. We put no confidence in the flesh. Isn't that good? What is he saying? Well, as I said, this is, this is the most basic description of a Christian. Christians are true worshipers. I mean, this is why God saved us. He saved us to be true worshipers. I mean, think about it. Jesus, in that conversation with the Samaritan woman, John 4, says, God is seeking true worshipers. Um, did he save us from hell? Absolutely. Did he save us from the wrath of God? Absolutely. Did he save us to forgive us of our sins? Absolutely. So, I mean, you can go right down the line. Why did God save me? God? A number of things. But he saved us to be true worshipers, which, it, which means before you were saved, you were what? You might have gone to church, but you were a false worshiper. You were an idolater. God saved us to be true worshipers. And just like the wise men, just like the magi, we come to worship Jesus. We come seeking him. And when we find him, we worship him. He who is called the king of the Jews, he is the king. He who is the king and savior of the world. And you're sitting there saying, well, how does that happen? How do you become a true worshiper? Well, well, that, become, that, that happens, rather, when you become born again, having the Holy Spirit in you, which is a result when you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. When it, you, you get to the point where you realize you need a Savior. All of us are going to meet God one day. The Bible's clear we all die. In fact, they don't need the Bible to tell you that. We all know we all die. But the Bible says that we all die once and then comes judgment. One day all of us are going to face God. Are you prepared to meet God? All I can say is don't meet God on your own. Come with a Savior. Come with a mediator. Particularly, come with Jesus Christ. Well, if you're not a true worshiper, what are you? Well, you're here this morning, and we're glad you're here. And you can go ahead and sing the songs, and the wonderful songs, yes, wonderful carols. And, and you might even get some warm, fuzzy feeling from it. But, but I have to tell you, unless you're a... Recognize that you're a sinner, sinning, condemned before a holy God, in need of a Savior, trusting Christ for forgiveness then your singing is just that. It's singing. And for the rest of us who are Christians, it could be just singing if we are not realizing what true worship is. Worship is the right response. Worship is the only response. Worship is the proper response to God's indescribable gift 
of his son, Jesus Christ. And it's amazing. The shepherds understood that as you read the story. The Magi understood that. Joseph understood that. Mary understood that. The angels obviously understood that. The question is, do you, do, do you understand that the right response to the birth of Jesus Christ is true worship? Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time this morning where we can open up your word, where we can pull out. That's what we want to do from your word. We want to not put in, but pull out the, the truths out of your word so that we can meditate upon them and meditating on them. The Spirit of God can change us from one level of glory to the next. Father, for, for those of us who are Christians, um, Perhaps this is a time of confession that we, we perhaps haven't been the, the worshipers we should be, and now we're committed to be true worshipers. We thank you for the reminder. And if there are those here this morning who, who aren't true worshipers because they never placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that they would, that they would do exactly that, that you would open their eyes, open their hearts, Give them the faith to believe. And may this be the, the first Christmas, perhaps, where they do become true worshipers. And we'll thank you. In Christ's name, amen.